Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you learn that niche well, or any niche, it could be marijuana grow houses, it could be the Chinese drywall, it could be foundation issues. If you learn that and become the expert, people are going to bring those deals to you. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally... We have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us. And he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record. But we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him in Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals and People who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've the deal you've got and assuming it checks out he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal so debt equity and potentially loan guarantors uh, all you need well you need to find a deal obviously 
Um, but besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today. Jeremy Porto. How you doing, Jeremy? Hey, I'm good, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing good. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Jeremy. He became interested in real estate while recovering from injury in United States Air Force pilot training. He has flipped 15 properties in three different markets, including some challenging properties, meth homes, and as you put, Chinese drywall homes. You'll give us some stories about that, I'm sure. Owns now 40 doors in three states, including a recent 13-unit apartment acquisition. Congrats on that. And he's transitioning into larger apartment syndications based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. With that being said, Jeremy, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Like you said, uh, I got really interested in 2008 when I tore my Achilles at pilot training. I had a long time to lay on my back and just read a bunch of books. And probably unlike a lot of people, I was more interested in the real estate stuff just because I thought it was cool. It was interesting. Even now you see on TV all the flip shows and and that was going on back then as well. So learned a bunch and I, I started off pretty slow. I bought a couple rentals. I got a, a fourplex relatively early on, started doing some flipping. Like you said, the meth house, Chinese drywall was kind of some of the more interesting ones that I did. Also some just cosmetic stuff. Did all that. Kind what, of what, is, what is Chinese drywall? Yeah, yeah. Back in the early 2000s, there were several hurricanes that hit the Southeast and when they were rebuilding everything, there was a shortage of drywall. So they started importing a lot of it from China. And I don't know if it was a manufacturing defect or what, but when they installed it, it was leaching like a sulfurous compound and making people sick. And the only remedy there was just to kind of rip it all out. I think it's kind of past now. I don't think there's really too much issue with it now because it's kind of all been figured out and taken care of. But back then it was a real issue, especially in the Southeast. And what about the meth house? Or were there multiple meth homes? Yeah, there were in El Paso County, and don't quote me on this, but I think El Paso County is like the number one or the number two county in the United States for number of meth-affected properties. Is El Paso County in Colorado? Yeah, just okay. it's Colorado Springs, basically, just right. south of Denver. But yeah, I did two of those. Kind of fell into it. So my wife is still active duty, and we bounced around a lot. But I was having a hard time kind of getting into new markets all the time and having to relearn stuff and found this meth house that was on an online auction. And hey, man, I figured nobody else was going to go for it. <laughs> so I just learned everything I could in like a couple of days before the auction was going to start. I talked to all the remediator guys. I talked to the department that handles the remediation and, and made sure I was legal on what I was doing. And I'm licensed in Colorado for real estate. So I had to make sure I was following all the license law for disclosures and stuff like that. And those were some pretty interesting properties. What do you have to do to re remediate? Yeah, I guess there's like two main steps. One is remediation of the methamphetamine itself. So that comes in two parts as well. There's removal of anything that's porous. Not that I'd want to keep it, but things like the carpet has got to go because it's just going to absorb it. The other big one is popcorn ceilings. They'll typically absorb the meth, so that's got to get all scraped. So once, And then after that, the second part of the meth remediation is to clean it. They'll use industrial chemicals and HEPA filter vacuums, and they just elbow grease, and they scrub it to death. And then you have a third-party tester come in and make sure that it's all clean and, and below the state limits. That's like the remediation side of things. And then, then it becomes a normal flip like anything else. You put it back together. So whatever you're left with, which oftentimes isn't a whole lot, uh, <laughs> a normal flip. 
Do you get charged based on per square foot of remediation? That's a good question. Worked with a couple different companies and pretty much they want to see the initial report that shows you how much meth is in a home. It can be lightly affected if they only smoked it a few times in the house or light manufacture, then there might not be as many micrograms of meth on the walls and, and floors and ceilings. And also just the size of what they have to clean. So when they kind of look at those two things combined and, and what do they have to tear out, what do they have to clean, they kind of put a bit together. So really there's not a real science to that. I would say it's mostly an art. All right. So I've checked the box on the drug topic. I always like to bring it up in every episode. I always like to talk drugs. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, 40 doors in three states, including a recent 13-unit apartment acquisition, over what period of time did you acquire those 40 doors in three states? Bought the first one in 2008. That was just a small townhome with my mom, actually. We were just getting into it, didn't know anything. Several years later, bought the next one in 2012 on my own single family. And then it just started kind of an exponential increase, was buying fourplexes, so adding them a little bit faster and buying two or three properties a year. So that 40 doors is up until now. So in, in the last 10 years, I'd say I probably bought two thirds of them or maybe half of them, I'd say, in the last three, four years or so. Where are you getting the equity for the purchases of the ones that you've purchased in the last three or so years? I'll say I've been a benefactor of the market for sure. The ones that I bought early on, obviously, they, I did some renovations to the rentals, but just the market appreciation was phenomenal. Using 1031s to kind of save on taxes, finding deals that were below market in the first place. It was one of the first couple of fourplexes I bought. I was in the middle of renovating it, and a guy from across the street said, hey, do you want to buy two more? And I'm like, well, sure. <laughs> and they're off market, obviously. So I bought those well below market. So instant equity in that sense. And then just the market has continued to appreciate. And then just using the tax strategies has been real helpful too. Well, let's follow the process then. I'd love to hear each of the deals and how you got to today. Because the first one, 2008, you started one townhome. And then you waited four years. You got a single family, 2012. I know it's going to be a little challenging just to think the numbers off the top of your head, but maybe you haven't memorized. But can you just go through each of the deals that gets us from 2008 to today and just when you bought it and purchase price, and then we'll go from there? I could probably pick a like representative property for like a time period, if you will. But sure. that, that very first one, that was a townhome in 2008. We bought it in 115, somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, that was right at the end of the beginning. I guess it depends on where you are with the crash. And so it was, I think there, oh my God, there was like five or six bank owned properties on that street. So it was a smoking deal. I didn't quite realize that then. And then ironically, we're selling it tomorrow. We close tomorrow, my mom and I to sell that. And that is at about two and a half times the price, roughly. And when the renovations that we did up front were fairly basic, mostly cosmetic paint carpet. I think we actually put in new countertops, stuff like that, but pretty basic stuff and then rented it for the last 10 years. So really phenomenal gains there and leveraging a residential 30 year AM loan was great as well. So we were cash flowing roughly 500 bucks before maintenance a month. So you're selling it for about 287,000. Yep, man, that's pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah, well, I, all I did was the math when you said two and a half times. Yeah, uh, I didn't actually do the math. So if that's exactly two and a half, then that's pretty cool. Cause yeah, that's, good job. Nice work to you then. I'll turn the table and compliment you. Okay, so you haven't tapped into that equity yet from that deal. So that's even more interesting to me, unless you had to refinance or something. Nope. Uh, okay. Well, very early on we did. Okay. Did you use some of that money to then buy your 2012 single family house? 
That one was a little complicated because it was with my mom. I don't recommend investing alongside people that you're very close to and you're very different from. So we actually didn't do that. That refinance was more, and we dumped the money back into the renovations because she'd actually pulled a home equity line of credit out on her own home to fund the renovations and the down payment. Not sure now how we did that. Mm-hmm. What bank that was credit, I don't <laughs> how, know. You bought it for 115 How much did you all put into it? About 20% down and then up front about 20000 or so. Okay, got it. So it wasn't a huge amount. Okay, so that's an isolated property. 2012 rolls around. You got a single family. Was that money that you just saved up? Yeah, I'm a huge saver. Plus, being in the Air Force and deploying, you don't get much time to spend your money. (laughs) So that's just money from the Air Force. Saved it all. And that one was because of the timing of that one as well. Still kind of in a lower part of the market. Was able to snag that for a pretty good deal. That was 92000 or so for the purchase price. Put maybe a couple thousand into it for like paint, just some touch-up stuff. And then started renting that for five or 600 bucks a month. Just sold that one a couple of months ago for, it was over 200,000. So doubled that one. Again, not much of it was renovation. Much of it was forced appreciation. It was mostly market. I did take that one 1031 it. And I'll be honest, I did a couple 1031s in a row. So I'm not exactly sure where that went. <laughs> that went into the 13 unit. Okay. That one is a 13 unit. We'll get to that. And this is why I wanted to go through it in a linear way, because I wanted to learn how you grew from one town home with your mom in 2008 to today, where you got 40 doors in three states and a 13 unit. So, okay. You saved up money. You bought a single family house. We'll still stick to the 2012 timeframe. You then bought some fourplexes, you said? Right. And let me actually just throw in a comment here, Joe. This is all kind of in the beginning of my real estate career. And I knew a little bit, but I didn't know a ton. And I always had an exit strategy in mind. But I think the biggest part of this learning process has been flexibility. I may have intended to hold a property for X number of years or whatever and and do something with it. But as the market grew and changed, I just found better ways to implement that money and use it. So I don't mean it was on the fly in the sense of, I didn't have a plan. I just did whatever, whenever, but it was on the fly in the sense that I had a plan and then things changed and it made better sense to do something else with it. For example, that second property in 2012 with my kind of naive mindset, I was like, Oh, just keep this forever. I'll take it till 30 years and then I'll have a property paid off. And as I learned that, Hey man, if I can leverage the money better, I can do more with it. And the market's going up along with me. So then it made sense to sell that property and get into the 13 unit because my mindset to get to multifamily, oh man, it was slow and painful. I kind of, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm actually kind of the opposite. I, I did it on my own. I came to that realization without really talking to people. So if anything, it proves that in my mind, the multifamily is great, but it was painful because first I'm flipping, then I'm doing single family rentals. And I'm like, huh, maybe fourplex rentals. That's the way to go. So that'll tie back into your actual question. And then from there, I'm taking them into bigger, but bought the fourplex uh, about a year later, maybe a little less. Just it was on the MLS. The guy kind of ran it pretty terribly. And in my mind, it cash flowed great. But nobody was buying fourplexes at that time, or nobody was buying a whole lot at that time. Again, still, I think it was early 2013 or so. And that has turned out to be a phenomenal deal. That's also appreciated. And that's where I'm kind of like, all right, do I start selling my fourplexes now? Because I really like them. They're great cash flowing properties. On each of them, I would say I'm a ballpark of about $1,000 a month cash flow. So I'm like, well, do I take that and roll that into a bigger multifamily? And if I can find something, I think I will. But right now, I'm really liking where those are at. How many did you buy in 2013? 
one fourplex, one duplex, and a single family that I actually kind of sort of house hacked, moved in, did some renovations while my wife and I were living there. All this from saving your pennies from your job and your wife saving her pennies from her job? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because so far, uh, following the timeline, you haven't done a refinance or exited out of anything. So, so far at this point, you're just acquiring them in the timeline. Okay. After you did the fourplex, the duplex, and the single family, what'd you do? Uh, see, that was 2013. So 2014 started doing the, the flipping for the first time. That was the Chinese drywall. That was a duplex. That's maybe not the biggest mistake I made, but a mistake that I look back and say, hey, that was a great duplex. I renovated it completely. It was gorgeous. It was renting for way more than I anticipated when I started the project. I wound up selling that. I think I made 50 or 60K on that one. And that's kind of the time where I started deploying real heavy with the Air Force. And so it was kind of up and down as far as what I was doing at the time. So I got 50000 back in my pocket from a flip. I've also been collecting cash flow this whole time and putting away my Air Force savings. So I'm still pretty cash heavy at this point. 2015 rolls around, and that's where I kind of ramp up the flipping a little bit. I think I did four that year in 2015. All single families. And those were kind of smaller deals, probably about twenty five, thirty thousand for the profit. How many did you do that year, roughly? I think it was four okay. that year. All right. And still put the cash back in my pocket. Then we started getting into the kind of the moving around part. Like I said, my wife's active duty and we constantly bounced around at different places. So I wasn't buying a whole lot of rentals right then. And then it just kind of exploded. I would say probably 16 into 17 is kind of really when I started buy, buy, buying. Like I said, I bought that other fourplex where the, the guy came up to me and said, hey, do you want to buy these two? So that was three fourplexes in a span of like four months, maybe. And you got that with the equity from the flips that you had earned and the other methods, income. Okay. And that does remind me in there, I sold that duplex from 2013. 1031 from the one duplex into the two new fourplexes that the guy was selling. That was the moment when I kind of realized, hey, it's not necessarily the best thing to hold on to these forever. That's when I started becoming flexible. I planned to hold that duplex for a while. But when I saw this opportunity for two fourplexes, and I didn't have enough money to do the whole thing at that point, I was looking, how can I do this? Trying to get creative and realize, hey, sell the duplex, take that money, that'll cover everything for both fourplexes. Kind of the appreciation and the down payment that I had put into those. And that was when I started including sales in there to then start 1031. That was actually the very first one I did. Mm -hmm. And when you got the two fourplexes, now you've got a portfolio. Does that lead us to basically today where you've got the 40 units, where you've acquired those units plus the 13 units? Yeah, I came to Colorado, started buying some fourplexes here. I do own two or three. I just sold one today, so I haven't lost track of everything <laughs> of where I'm actually at as of today. But I own at least two here in the Springs now, fourplex-wise. And I'll be very honest, when I moved here, this goes back to the flexibility. My intent was buy, buy, buy fourplexes. Well, I kind of see that the numbers here work, but they're not phenomenal. And can I make my money work harder elsewhere? And the answer is yes. So that I just sold the fourplex today. I just closed on it this morning. I've got another one that I'm probably going to list in the next week or so to get rid of, take that money elsewhere. So yeah, I think that kind of brings us to today. And, and there's a few more flips as well. Uh, I did a couple of flips here in the Springs. But yeah, it's a flurry, it feels like, of, of buy and sell and, and just reposition to take the money work even harder. In there is a lot of 
transaction costs, which I don't like. And that's part of the reason I got my license was to kind of help with that. So not only am I making a little money on the buy side with my license, I'm saving a little money on the sell side with my license as well. And then that led into unintentionally brokering for a lot of people, which I've since decided to kind of set aside because I just think it's not the best use of my time right now. My focus onto one thing here. So yeah, flurry is probably the way I would describe the last few years. Yeah, it sounds like it's really interesting how you've maximized the equity that you have and then rolling it into something else. With your 13 unit now, Yeah, were you able to only use the 1031 from your 2012 purchase to purchase it or did you have to do some other stuff to acquire it? Yeah, I had to bring a little bit of extra money, not a ton. That's a story in itself. Made a little bit of a mistake there with the lending side of things. Was not as aware as I should have been. You know, when you're under a million dollar loan price, the banks don't give you the best terms. So I actually had a private lender lined up for that deal. And it was going to be a 90% loan to value, pretty good interest rate. I want to say five and a half, maybe five and three quarters. It was going to be amortized over 30 years. And I think it was two points, which at the time I was balking at a little bit. But as I realized now, shoot, I paid probably close to two points anyways, when it's all said and done. That fell through last minute. I got it under contract, was ready to move forward. He had actually done a deal for my buddy, very similar. It was 10 units in Panama City. I was near Pensacola with his 13 units. So it's not like this was something I had made up and was just trying to believe something that wasn't true. My buddy had, had done this, fell through at the last minute. So then I was scrambling that week to find financing to get the deal done because the property itself and the price itself, I thought was phenomenal. Wound up going through a local bank and wound up with a 15-year AM, five and three quarters interest rate. And let's see, I think it balloons at uh, year five. And it just it didn't turn out to be very favorable, really. It was a 70% loan to value. So that's where I wound up bringing the extra money, which you asked me where that come from. I don't really know right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. A whole hodgepodge of things. So what was the purchase price of the 13 unit? 615000 mm-hmm. The owners were kind of a mom and pop group of guys that wanted to get into multifamily. So they had mediocre records. That was also a challenge to kind of pick through that. I think the reason they decided to lend to me, because I had actually gone through, I think it was four other local banks that said no. And they were saying no only because the records were not up to par. The reason this lender went with me, I think because the deal itself was pretty good. It was cash flowing nicely. The expenses were relatively low. I think there wasn't a whole lot there. And I think they also just like it was pretty local to them. Uh, I guess they're more of a regional bank, Centennial. Um, So put all that together and I had a great property with kind of terrible financing. So I think overall, the deal kind of works out to be mediocre. I'm still happy I did it because I'm in multifamily now. I own a 13-unit apartment complex, and that's just the stepping stone to get even bigger. How'd you find it? That buddy that I told you about that did 10 units, he found it on LoopNet of all places and showed it to me. And he was like, what do you think? I want to do it. And we talked about it for a while. I was all trying to help him get it. And then he, on his own, came to the realization that he just didn't have the money for it. He wanted to keep some big cash reserves and this would pretty much deplete him. So I said, hey man, look, I'm not trying to steal your deal, but if you think that you're not going to do this, let me know and maybe I'll try to get in on it. And so that's how that wound up. I wound up calling the seller and made the connection and it was pretty quick after that. What'd they have it listed for? 650. 650. You got it for 615. Why do you think it was on LoopNet? Because the perception is if something's on LoopNet, then it's not a good deal or something's off about it. So as I said before, these guys were your sort of mom and pop-ish type owners. 
So I just don't think they were super versed in, in how to dispose of a property in the best way possible. So they're thinking, hey, we'll save a buck by not dealing with a broker. We'll just put it on the loop net, which they don't realize has the perception that it does. So that's how that wound up there. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but he was telling me several other guys calling and that could have just been him drumming up the interest. But uh, <laughs> my thought is, hey, when I see the expenses, when I see the income, when I see the upside, because that was the other piece that was pretty big for me. I've got probably about 100 to about $125 of upside in rent increases. And that's without really doing anything. These units aren't in phenomenal condition, but they're good enough right now. They're average, I would say. Here was the other lucky part. It was right in the market that I had spent about eight or nine years in for the Air Force. So I personally knew that area very well, knew exactly where it was. So when I say there's 100 to 125, that's from personal experience and knowledge and having fourplexes there and, and rentals there already and knowing that market. So that was the other piece of it that I really knew the upside. $125 without really doing anything is pretty darn incredible. Sign me up for that too, that's for sure. Usually we have to put in like $5,000 into the unit in order to do that. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I was saying this too, but I hear it a lot that there's no deals out there. I think my best advice to the best ever listeners is don't be afraid to do the deals that no one else wants. When I moved to Colorado Springs and couldn't find deals, that's how I got into the meth house flipping. If you learn that niche well, or any niche, it could be marijuana grow houses, it could be the Chinese drywall, it could be foundation issues. If you learn that and become the expert, people are going to bring those deals to you. When I was doing the latest meth house, I got on the local news station, they did a piece on me. And from that, I got a lot of calls and people saying, hey, I've got this house, it's meth affected. And so I got to be known somewhat, I won't say, loosely use the term expert, the meth house area. So people come to me for that. So the spreads are going to be bigger because people don't understand the property. They're going to discount it more than it really should be because it's unknown and scary. So I can bid realistically on these places without lowballing fear. And then I get the deal. I mean, that's the ultimate thing is to get the deal because everybody's complaining. There are no deals. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure thing. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern. EQ.com. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. Best ever book you've read recently? Oh, you threw me off on that one. Uh, <laughs> so let's go with Emerging Real Estate Markets, Dave Lindahl. I've read a ton about how to buy real estate and all that stuff. But the market itself and knowing about the market, I think, is really pivotal. So I'll go with that. Best ever deal you've done? I bought a fourplex here in the Springs. Kind of did a little arbitrage action. Bought it from a Springs seller. Sold it to a Denver buyer about an hour away, right off of I-25, the north-south highway that runs between us. And netted 80K without doing anything to the property. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Probably what I mentioned before. Well, this is not quite on a transaction, but having my license and using it to broker deals, if I wanted to be a broker, that's great, but that was not the best use of my time, and I can do things that are value-add in a better way. Best ever way you like to give back? Definitely sharing my knowledge. There was a guy that joined my squadron after I'd left, so I never met him. He reached out to me through a buddy, told him 
all I knew and everything. And that guy today owns like 20 or 30 doors. I partnered with him several times. It's just awesome to see the fact that I was willing to share my time with him and where he's at now is pretty awesome to see. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? Facebook page. I put a lot of uh, my real estate activities on there, facebook.com slash Jeremy Porto real estate, no spaces, or they can email me jeremy.porto at gmail.com. And if you're thinking about getting into real estate or just want to talk about the stuff that I talked about today, reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. Well, I'd love to hear how you went from 2008 buying a townhome with your mom to today, 40 units, three states, just bought that 13 unit. You found the 13 unit, LoopNet, and how you got into that from a financing standpoint. And as you said, it's been a flurry of transactions. You've constantly been assessing the equity that you have in deals and then seeing how you can leverage up into those deals. I was on a call with a potential investor. So I get potential investors emailing me and then I follow up when we have a phone call before they invest in anything so we know each other. And he said he was following the Dave Ramsey advice for two decades or however long. I don't know how long he's following it, but he's been investing in real estate for three decades. So he was paying off his homes and things and he had followed up up until I think he said 2012. And then he realized that he wasn't on the right side of the tax code after that and he wasn't leveraging up he was talking about it more from a tax liability standpoint. That's why he was looking to invest in apartment syndications. But it's also what we didn't talk about in that conversation, he and I didn't talk about, was leveraging up and using debt as your friend and to continue to optimize your portfolio along the way versus just paying things down. And that's exactly what you're doing. So really enjoyed hearing your approach and how you've gotten to where you're at in the period of time in which you've done it. Thank you, by the way, for everything that you were doing for our country and your wife is doing for our country. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Definitely, Joe. Thank you. Have a good one. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.